0: And next thing you know, the push is pushing you towards something that provides what we call counterfeit relief. You know, there's the real relief when I eat something I needed, but then there's the counterfeit relief when I eat, but something that's harmful instead of helpful.
1: Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Bob Hemp. Bob is a licensed marriage and family therapist with 30 years' experience in both private practice counseling and business consulting. Together, he and his wife Polly own Think Differently Counseling, Coaching, and Consulting, as well as Think Differently Academy, an online community for people seeking to live a life of personal freedom and relational health. Bob has written three books in the Think Differently series and has spoken extensively around the world on the topic of personal freedom and mental health in the faith-based world. The focus of all of the Think Differently community is to provide an owner's manual for your brain. If you think a new thing, you have a new idea. If you think a new way, everything changes. Grab your pen and a piece of paper for this episode. I'm speaking with Bob Hamp, and we're diving in deep to what's going on with your brain after an experiment with betrayal. Ready to take a tour of your brain so you know what may be stopping your healing process and what you can do to move things along? Then get ready. Here we go. Okay, everybody, we are with Bob Hamp today. Wait till you hear this episode. He actually came in to the PBT Institute to do a masterclass And it was rated so highly because during that masterclass, he was talking about uh, the dynamics of abuse and um, the members, our members got so much out of it. So we brought him back this time to the podcast so all of you can enjoy uh, this conversation as well. Today, we're talking about the four levels of your brain when healing from betrayal. So we have a lot to cover. So welcome, Bob. Welcome back.
0: Oh, thank you, and, and thank you for having me back. It's really been great being connected to your community and to your what you're doing for people.
1: Uh, thank you so much. So when it comes to the brain, the brain is so impacted. When, oh my word. Uh, when we're, you know, we undergo any sort of trauma and betrayal specifically. It's one of those traumas that really affects the body, the mind, the heart. It's in that one instant, that one earth shattering moment. You know, I, I, I say it creates a psychological earthquake when life yeah. is now compartmentalized into two camps before it happened and after it happened. And yeah. uh, there's a lot of healing we need to do. So give us, give us an idea. Let's talk about those, those four levels and,
0: Yeah. So, you know, I think the whole community of us that are healers have really benefited from the last several decades of work with the brain and the nervous system and kind of a whole new way to understand trauma. And as a result, a whole new way to work with trauma. One of the things that we offer our clients and regardless of their circumstance, and it's particularly helpful when they're dealing with trauma and specific kinds of trauma, one of the things that we'll do is we take them on what we call uh, a tour of your brain just so that they understand, you know, we all have one, but we're not always told how to use our brain. You know, we people kind of assume that we just know how to learn and we're gonna learn and regurgitate the things we've learned, but we seldom tell people about the various resources that are camped right inside their own gray matter. So basically the way that we look at it is uh, we, and again, this can be familiar if people have read the book, The Body Keeps the Score, but also a number of other things that we put our own language and kind of our own practical steps to it is there's the top half of the brain and the bottom half. And, you know, when you're dealing with the bottom half, the way that we language that is we say the bottom half of your brain is designed to keep you not dead. But if you really want to be fully alive and live the kind of abundance and, you know, a vivacious life that you want, that all of us want, we've got to understand how to recognize and get out of that bottom half of our brain and what kind of things, can be evidence that we're in the bottom half, but more importantly, what kind of steps we can take to get from the bottom to the top half of the brain. And so we've got the bottom half and the top half, and then we divide each of those halves in half, also giving us, as we said, the four levels of the brain. So I assume you probably do some work with the brain and the nervous system as well. For sure,
1: because the nervous system is completely out of whack after an experience with betrayal. And how do we know? Let's start start here. How do we know if our brain... Isn't functioning properly after an experience with betrayal? Like, how do we know something's off?
0: Yeah, a lot of times we know that there's something off with us. You know, things don't look the same, things don't feel the same. We feel limitations that we didn't have before. Uh, sometimes, even, you know, things like brain fog. And so there's clearly something that we're dealing with that's, you know, we, we recognize it's somewhere in our cognition, or even not just in cognition, but somewhere just in our sensory experience. But one of the things, and you know, we, we look, first of all, when we look at the bottom half of the brain, one of the things we've discovered, and both my wife and I are, are continuing clinical practice along with our teaching and the other things that we do. One of the things we see all the time in our clinical practice is once we take people on this tour, many of them say, I don't think I even knew that I've lived most of my life in the bottom half of my brain. But when you start looking at the kind, like you're asking the evidences of that. So obviously the first part, when the trauma happens, you've got that, what did you say? Earthquake kind of moment.
1: Earthquake. Uh-huh. Yeah,
0: we call it an injury to your nervous system. You know, when that injury happens and there's like that imprint on your nervous system, the, the very bottom of the brain, your brainstem, and we always tell people, you know, grab the back of your neck, you're now holding your brainstem. And I describe that as the gatekeeper between the brain and the body. And a lot of people, again, don't know that the body talks to the brain more than the brain talks to the body, but there's this kind of ongoing conversation between the two. And when the body starts to tell you that there's a threat, which of course happens in that kind of tectonic shift that you're talking about. You know, they clearly a threat, not just a threat, but a real danger in this moment. The, um, the gatekeeper part of the brain, that brainstem right back there at the base of your skull, takes over. And when it's activated, the rest of the brain is separated from the body, and the brain stem just starts to do what it does. And as you and I would say, you know, it only is supposed to be activated for about 20 to 40 minutes to get us through a perceived or an actual threat. But when you have the kind of trauma that betrayal brings, a lot of times the threat is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, or the brain stem gets triggered in such a way that even if the threat's not ongoing, the brain can't recognize that. And so it ends up being switched on instead of 20 to 40 minutes. It runs like a faucet that's been left on. So the brainstem in helping you respond to a threat is essentially going to turn loose a couple different chemicals. One of them called, um, good grief, my mind went blank, adrenaline. And then of course the other one's cortisol. And when those two things start running through your body, it's like putting the accelerator down in your car. You may be neutral, but the engine's running at high RPMs because you're prepared. You're prepared and you're preparing to respond to this threat. Well, when that happens, you know, you've know you got that threat going on and your brain is releasing those chemicals. The organs of your body, the muscles of your body, the nervous system in particular just gets on high alert. And everyone's familiar with this idea of fight, flight, and freeze. A lot of times we don't know that there's several other Fs that get involved. The brainstem can really get us kind of effed up. And so what happens is there's not just fight, flight, and freeze preparing to respond to the threat, but there's also faint and fawn where faint is you kind of like you go into the state of just, you almost literally faint fawn is you start to kind of make the other person, someone special and fawn over them in a way of kind of tending to your own anxiety by making them feel special. Very common when people have been abused and you've got kind of that, um, that power differential and there's an evident power differential. Once somebody's been, been betrayed, they feel like they've lost all power. So, Fawn would not be an unusual one. Sometimes people later feel some shame about that. But then there's another one that sometimes people don't recognize as one of the Fs of the brainstem, and that's um, and by the way, this is one that I particularly have to watch out for. A lot of us in the helping profession find that there's a, a sixth F, and that sixth F is one called fix. Right, so we've got faint, fawn, and then some of us go into when the brainstem activates. It's what solution can I find? How can I do something about this? What steps can I take? How can I get the other person to join me in fixing this? And it it it's not just about strategy finding; it's about the anxiety that drives that strategy finding. So when the brainstem's triggered and the brain gets separated from the body, one of one or more of those six F's kicks in, and we find ourselves frenetically. Let's let's throw in another F, right? We find ourselves frenetically trying to faint, fawn, fix, fight, flight, or freeze. And then we we are without the ability in those moments to really think with clarity or without the the ability to really problem solve. We're certainly without the ability to make meaningful connections to people or even to ourselves. A lot of people will dissociate or disconnect from their state. Mm -hmm. And so in that moment, it's important when you ask the question, how do people recognize that their, their brain isn't functioning? This is a tough one because it's kind of like the lens that we see everything else through.
1: You know, I want to I want to just really paint this picture for everybody so they understand. When when this stress response is ignited, it's it's really like if you can imagine, you know, your your blood and oxygen go to your heart, lungs, and limbs so that you can let's say jump the curb to safety. There's a car coming at you. You jump the curb to safety. That's what it's designed for. And then you know, over time, it, it settles back down. You're okay. But when that stress response is ignited and not turned off, it's as if you're jumping the curb to safety 24 seven. So this is why, you know, one of the the, uh, statistics we have in, for people who take the post-betrayal syndrome quiz, 45% of them have a digestive issue. So it's so common Mm -hmm. and that could be Crohn's, IBS, cyberticulitis, constipation, diarrhea. Well, think about it. If the blood and oxygen are going to your heart, lungs and limbs, it is not available to digest your lunch. Right. right, it's not right. a time for for uh, you know for doing all those other things. So things get really, really affected, and and it's um it's so profound because we uh, we're the only animal, right? All the other animals they they they're in danger and they shake, right? They shake when they're done. And I think Peter Levine uh, does yep. so much work with somatic body based experiencing, saying it's showing how animals will shake to relieve. That, that anxiety and that trauma. And we don't, and we just keep it, keep it going.
0: And especially when we've got those kind of fight, flight, freeze kind of responses, we think we're going to fix something, but we don't recognize we're not just fixing something outside of us, something's gone wrong inside. Mm-hmm. And not only is the blood and oxygen not available, but what is available and what's coming in excess is that cortisol and adrenaline. So the organs are taxed, the muscles are taxed. Like I've said before, like a car that's in high RPMs. And rather than just revving for a moment, it stays at that high RPM and the body is just being worn out. So I know you guys do a lot of work with physical symptoms and and illness and those kind of things. This part of the brainstem, once it's kicked in and and is not being relieved in a natural way, can be an incredible stressor on all the systems of the body.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the, so that's what's going on in the brainstem. Tell us, tell us what else is going on. Tell us another part of that brain.
0: Yeah. So we're about to move up. And one of the things we teach our clients is that it, as you start to move up through these levels of the brain, if one level is satisfied, it allows you to move to the next level. When that level is satisfied, it allows you to move to the next level. And so the, the goal is to get people up into those top two parts of the brain where they can have the fullness of life that they want. And one of the things the brain stem needs in order to get to that next level is it needs to know it's not dying You know, because it's panicking, saying your life is threatened. And of course, the, the bottom half of the brain doesn't know the difference between a physical threat, saber-toothed tiger, car coming at you, or an emotional threat. Somebody has just betrayed you and the information or the image has just crossed your field of vision. And all of a sudden, ever the bottom falls out. And your brain doesn't know the difference between that and being shot by a 45 caliber pistol.
1: Think about this. Everybody who's listening and watching, think of a trigger, a trigger, you know, it's not happening in that moment, but tell that to your body because your body is responding and reacting as if it's happening all over again.
0: Yeah. Your brainstem is doing its job because the trigger creates the perception of threat Mm -hmm. when you're completely safe in most cases. So here's what, here's what I tell people about how to get out of the brainstem. It seems so simple. And we all have a sense that oxygen is important, but I don't think we realize when we, on a set a minute ago, the body speaks to the brain. In some cases, more than the brain speaks to the body. I explained to people, you know, I, I had my brainstem triggered in a very common way recently. And that was, I was in a dentist chair and the camera that they were using to take x-rays hit the back of my throat. Well, obviously that's an existential threat, right, Debbie? And so I feel like my brainstem kicks in and says, you're gonna die. But fortunately I've been in a few dentist chairs and I've had a few times where my gag reflex gets triggered and I know enough to know I'm not going to die, but my brainstem doesn't know things. It just reacts to things. So the top half of my brain says, Bob, you're not going to die. But my lungs and my nasal cavities start to do this. Slow, deep breaths sends the powerful message to the brainstem that you're not dying. Listen, relationships may be coming to an end, life may be changing radically, but you will not only live, you'll live to thrive another day. But your brainstem needs to know this. It needs to know in that moment, you're not dying, you're under stress, but you're fine. The oxygen literally communicates that message to the brainstem. And when we do that, we can move up to what we'll call the midbrain. The midbrain-
1: I I just wanna stop you here because this is why everybody, when you hear just take a deep breath and you've always heard that when you've been under stress, there's a reason, there's a reason. And it's just to, to just impact the brain and the nervous system right there. So, and think about it when you're under stress, when you're under stress, your breathing is just so shallow and quick. Yeah. And this is bringing you back to that, to that, uh, a deeper
0: breathing. Okay. So the very reaction that the brainstem triggers exactly, as you said, Uh, really deprives deprives us of the thing that we need the most, and that is the clear awareness that we are going to survive that moment and that hour. When the brainstem finally settles down, by default, we begin to move up into the next level of the brain, which for today's purposes, it's several different components, but for today's purpose, we'll call it the midbrain. It's kind of the passageway in between the bottom half and the potential to move into the top half of our brain or what, uh, what the body keeps the score calls the upstairs brain, right? So the midbrain is also designed to keep you not dead. But the way it keeps you not dead is it makes sure that you satisfy the appetites that your body has. Make sure you eat food when your body is deprived. It makes sure you drink something when you're thirsty. Make sure you sleep when you're tired. All of the physical drives of the body, the midbrain does two very important things. Number one, it provides a push. You know, an appetite is a genuine feeling of urge or drive. And that drive is towards something that should satisfy an appetite. The second thing the midbrain does is it tells you the target of that push. And it tells you this, when you find that target, you will feel relief. And just like we've got the two chemicals, the the brainstem releases, the midbrain releases this incredibly lovely, terrible chemical called dopamine right? Dopamine, the the driver behind all addictions and compulsions. Dopamine gets released when we follow that drive to the object of that drive that the the midbrain is telling us. If you get this, you'll be better. You'll be okay. Here's the thing. The midbrain is an incredibly programmable part of the brain. And what that means is we might've come into the world with a clearly programmed midbrain that says, hey, you need formula you need sleep, you need, you, know, you need liquid, you need solids, you need something. But over time, the midbrain can get programmed. And pretty soon it says, you need sugar. As my wife says, you need chocolate. Mm-hmm. And over time, the midbrain starts pushing you toward things that may not be exactly what you need, but it tells you you do. The drive is just as powerful as if it's what you really need. And then we have to throw in the other piece of this, Debbie, and that is that in the same way the brainstem doesn't make a distinction between physical and emotional, the midbrain also says you also have some emotional appetites. Think about an appetite. An appetite is relieving discomfort, right? I'm hungry. I'm going to eat. I'm thirsty. I'm going to drink. I feel rejected. I'm going to move towards what I think will bring me comfort in rejection. I feel lonely. I'm going to move toward, in fact, I'm going to feel the urge, the push toward what I feel will relieve either my loneliness or the discomfort of being lonely. So the appetites of the midbrain aren't just physiological, they're also emotional. And they say, I don't want to feel lonely. I don't want to feel incompetent. I don't want to feel rejected. I don't want to feel isolated. And as the midbrain is saying, I I don't want to feel those things, it's going to either push you towards what you think will feed that appetite and here's the tricky part, it's going to push you towards what might numb the feeling of those, those lack. So I lack connection and the midbrain says, you know, what would really help you is just a glass of wine would be super helpful. And if one glass of wine was helpful, what about a second, a third? And next thing you know, the push is pushing you towards something that provides what we call counterfeit relief. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the real relief when I eat something I needed, but then there's the counterfeit relief when I eat, but something that's harmful instead of helpful.
1: And Then the, you know, the, the stakes get bigger and bigger. So the, the amount gets higher and higher. So if you used to take one drink, it takes two it used to take, you know, one show you're binge watching a whole series on and on it goes.
0: Yeah. And therein lies the trouble with dopamine is dopamine is the roller coaster of pleasure, mm-hmm. Right. So dopamine is a pleasure producer pain, uh, pain number. And so it's an incredibly pleasurable thing to experience. It feels good and it takes away negative feelings, but the dilemma, just like you described, you get enough relief and enough pleasure, but within 30 minutes to an hour, you've cratered. And so I, I, I liken dopamine to sugar, right? At one point I didn't know better than fueling my body with sugar. I didn't know what it really needed. So sugar for me was I'd have some in the morning, some mid morning, some with lunch, some mid afternoon, because I'd crash again. You get the the high and the crash the high and the crash. Dopamine is the same way you get the immediate relief, but it's not long before you need more and not, not just again, but like you said, you need more. So dopamine, while it feels good, uh, if we're if we're using counterfeits, whatever those counterfeits might be, and again, physical or emotional counterfeit connection, you know, counterfeit satisfaction, counterfeit relief from the appetites or the lack that we feel. So dopamine. Go ahead. Yeah,
1: I, I love that connection to sugar because it's so true. You know, think about it. Even when someone a million years ago, when I was really working in health, I was breaking people of a sugar addiction, and I remember it was really you're on this this roller coaster ride of sugar induced hormones and, 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 uh, energy. And then, so there's the rise, the inevitable crash. And then what do you do? You need to pick yourself up again. And when someone would break a sugar addiction, they were so desensitized because of the amount they had to keep having just to get that same effect that when they eventually, uh, really got back to their, their taste buds, I remember hearing, I'm, Oh my gosh, I, I, I tasted the sweetness of a tomato you know, things like that. You you truly get that sensitivity back when you, uh, when you break that addiction, just the same as with dopamine. It's still a wonderful, wonderful uh, neurotransmitter hormone chemical, although we want to have that in moderate amounts as well.
0: Right. Yeah. It's, it's not without purpose. It's just that it's not designed to be the primary fuel that we operate on. And so I would, if in full confession, sugar has historically been my drug of choice. And it's only been in the last two years that I learned better what my body needed. And as I started to give my body what I needed, you're a hundred percent on. And that is, I started to experience other foods in very different ways as I got my sugar regulated and the various things that go with that. Well, dopamine can be the same way. You know, the reason that dopamine is the driver behind addiction and, and compulsions is because the dopamine starts when the, when the rituals start. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have your drug of choice. You just have to start thinking about it. You know, and... and uh,
1: so take us to the, the third, the third brain.
0: Ah, this is perfect because what, what the midbrain does is it gives you a counterfeit of the third level. And the third and fourth are really the goals. And in the same way that we need to satisfy the brainstem to get up into the midbrain, There's kind of a difference here in that what we need to do is learn the satisfaction of the third level, the limbic system, and in the limbic system, what we find is the limbic system releases a very different kind of chemical with a similar function, but a different lifespan. So the limbic system, which is the center of connection, where we experience connection, I want to talk about those connections in just a moment. But we, we find that, and of course, I don't know if you've seen the research that's come out in the last decade or so, they say these days that the, the, the key to helping people get free from addictions isn't sobriety, but healthy connection. Mm-hmm. That when we move people into deep connection and real connection and into community, The addictive nature of the brain, the addictive cycle of dopamine that we've been talking about is relieved in such a way that that, the driving appetite of the midbrain is no longer what's the driving force, and people start to experience this lovely chemical called oxytocin. Right. That's
1: why I always have so many dogs. It's for the oxy oxy. (laughs) I'm crazy, but I keep getting dogs for that oxytocin boost and it's, and it's very real. It's and, and just to, you're so right. There have been so many studies about how loneliness is, Mm. is so dangerous for us. That's really why in the PBT Institute, our community aspect is so great. And even when I was doing uh, the study, Every single study participant said they would have loved support when going through something like this, because it absolutely would have helped community and support the right type of support, of course, is vital and crucial. That's what gives you that boost of oxytocin, the the cuddle hormone, they call it. There's a few names for it.
0: The love drug, right? Love
1: drug. Yep.
0: Yeah. And, And it's crucial for the healing process because it gets you out of the bottom half of your brain. The bottom half of your brain isn't designed to solve problems. It's not designed to make relationships work. It's not designed to be creative. It's literally to keep us not dead. But when we get up into that part of our brain where the oxytocin flows freely and we make the connections, don't let me forget because there's three connections that I think are so crucial for each of us. And every one of them, the, the circularity of connection is that oxytocin leads to connection and connection triggers the flow of oxytocin. And so instead of that roller coaster of dopamine, we get the same sensation, but it's a slow growth and it plateaus out and it carries us through the day. Just like when we learn to fuel our bodies in a healthy way, instead of needing sugar every couple of hours, we can just fuel our bodies with what our body needs. In the same way, oxytocin is really what the brain needs to stay focused all day long, to stay in a creative mode, to stay in a you know, connecting mode. And then those connections and creativity then foster the creation of oxytocin, which is why it can stay all day long and even into the evening and it kind of kind of like rest when you sleep and then pick right up the next morning when we live in healthy connection. So let's talk about those healthy connections, but go ahead. Yeah,
1: and you feel so much steadier throughout that day, throughout the day. It's not that rise and crash all day long, which is just physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausting.
0: Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that happens when people have been through betrayal and everybody, of course, has a slightly different F in the brainstem, but when they move up into that midbrain, part of their midbrain is telling them you've got to stay safe. That's the appetite they're trying to resolve. And so somewhere in there, they've got a strategy to stay safe. And in many cases, that strategy really doesn't create safety, but they continue to chase it because of the dopamine. And the tricky part is if you're not safe with your partner, but you hunger for the connection to your partner, we've got to figure out how to get people to turn loose the flow of oxytocin without yet taking the step of taking a risk with a partner who hasn't proven yet whether or not they're safe. You know, I use some of the steps out of uh, Beyond Boundaries by John Townsend to know when is it safe to go back into a relationship where there's been a betrayal. And he talks about, the, has the right problem been solved in the right way? And, you know, uh, are you able to talk through the issues and resolve them to both persons' satisfaction? All the different things that they talk about to prove that the relationship is safe. But once, uh, once it's safe, then the next question is, how do we then get up to that part of the brain? And here's the key thing, and people have a question about this all the time, but we'll just anticipate that and try to answer it. Um, there are three connections that are crucial to continue The the maintenance and flow of oxytocin, and they're like we said, they're fed by it, but they also help produce oxytocin. And the first one that people miss all the time is you must first connect to yourself. Mm
1: -hmm. Yep, makes sense. So,
0: yeah, we talked about how the brainstem. When people get into those different Fs, there's a separation between the upper part of the brain and sometimes the entire body. And that separation, whether it's a dissociative state or just shut down, whatever it is, what we end up is we disconnect from ourselves when we're in pain as a way of managing our pain. And a lot of people want to skip that step and say, I'm going to connect to a partner, a friend, we'll connect to some kind of transcendent reality, which we'll talk about that next. But we can't make any connections at all until we are first connected to
1: ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and that connection to self, that's the one that people have questions about. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it because people say what some people who've been so disconnected from self will say, I don't even know what that means.
1: Yeah. You know, first, what I would say is as you're going through uh, the the different, uh, you know, we started with the brainstem and then the midbrain. And, you know, I, I always talk about the five stages from uh, betrayal to breakthrough. Midbrain, uh, brainstem is absolutely stage two. Shock, trauma, B day, discovery day, stage, um, uh, midbrain is absolutely stage three. We found mm. a way to survive our experience, and we think that's all there is. And yeah. when we get up to the limbic system a bit, here's where we're moving into stage four, where transformation begins. Mm. We're understanding we can't undo our experience, but we control what we do with it. And one of the most important aspects of that is that. Uh, connecting to self, but in a very different way. Yes. We, we have an opportunity to rebuild a version of ourselves that never would have had an opportunity to exist had that not happened. And in that connection, it's really a relearning. Who am I? What do I want? Who do I want to be now that I've experienced this? Yeah. And it's a really, it, it's, it's so crucial. So it's so beautiful hearing you talk about this because I'm relating them absolutely uh, to the five stages.
0: Yeah. And I love, so we've discovered that when we take people through this kind of just a roadmap to your brain, there are so many models that it fits, even like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You can hear how your safety needs and your relational needs and all the way up to the self-actualization, which is actually going to be the, the top part of the brain that we'll talk about. But so many different models fit this because it is the brain. It is the organ that runs the show for us. And yet, like I said, we seldom get uh, you know a user's manual for our brain. We just We use it the way it was given to us. So this this connection to self, you know, a lot of people just don't even know what that means. They've been so disconnected from themselves. And usually what happens is they disconnect because of some kind of pain or discomfort. And it's important for people to know when you first reconnect, the first thing you'll experience is the reason you disconnected. So we disconnect because of pain. And when we reconnect, that pain is waiting for, for you there to say, hey, I still need something because that's what pain is pain is telling us that we have a need. If we disconnected because of fear, that fear is still waiting for us. And so it's important that people know when you reconnect, it doesn't mean that that's going to swallow you up. It just means you're going to reconnect now with the tools that you've gotten from your counselor, from Dr. Silber's Institute, from all these places you reconnect and reconnection is literally just saying what's happening inside of me.
1: And I want to add to that because this is the reason why a lot of people don't move out of stage three. That is the most common place to get stuck because we don't want to be uncomfortable.
0: Yes. How many places do people not want to be uncomfortable? I mean, not me, of course. Like I'm.
1: <laughs> and think and about it. That's exactly why we do this. So, because we have to we have to face it. We have to take a look at it. And this is all this stuff that we were avoiding by the numbing, avoiding, distracting the food, the drugs, the alcohol, the work, the TV, whatever your method of choice was. Here's where we say, okay, that's it's, it's still there when, when I stopped those things, but it needs to be looked at so that it can be processed and released. Beautiful.
0: Yeah. glad you're bringing so that up. So connect to self. Connection to self. Sure.
1: What's next?
0: Number two. Connecting, connection to transcendent reality.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Notice we haven't talked yet about tra- connection to other people. Mm-hmm. That's the third connection. So many people want to jump right to that. So when we talk about connection to self, we've, we've covered most of that. So much in that. And yet, you know, connection to transcendent reality is things like for, for people with a spiritual path, some kind of connection to your creator or your higher power. For people who may not have that kind of spiritual path, it's a connection to say, I'm, I'm part of something bigger than just me. Otherwise, we don't have an anchor when we start to move into connection with other people. You know, we, we connect to self and we say, okay, I'm somebody. But then we connect to transcendent reality to say, I'm somebody who's a part of something bigger than just me in my life.
1: And, and I'll add to that too, because even in the study, the study proved, uh, it showed that there was a real move towards spirituality. Now, some people left their religion completely. They felt it didn't support right. them. Some moved towards the spiritual side of their religion. Some moved, they weren't really practicing anything and moved towards spirituality. I found it so interesting. And it turns out there were really two reasons. One was that connection that you mentioned. And yeah. one was there was such a, a, a breach in trust. They couldn't trust the person who hurt them. They couldn't trust themselves. So they ventured, okay, well, at least I could trust in something other than me.
0: So a power higher than myself.
1: Exactly.
0: Exactly. And that's why that second connection is crucial before you jump into the third, which will become evident by now. But I want to just finish saying you know, that connection to transcendent reality gives us a context. You know, um, we, in our work, we deal with a lot of people who their betrayal has been from their spiritual community. And so they're searching for, do I just bail completely on my spiritual life Or do I continue to pursue some version of spirituality that doesn't leave me in the context that was the place where I was so badly betrayed? Number of people that were either specifically abused by a spiritual leader of some sort, or they were betrayed by their community when they went through abuse and or left a spouse that was abusive, and their spiritual community just pulls the chair out from under them. And so that becomes that secondary betrayal you know, they've been betrayed by their abuser, but then they're betrayed by what they hoped would be a support community. At some point, the return to the transcendent life that says, okay, because they betrayed me doesn't mean the universe that God has betrayed me. It simply means that there's a group of people who didn't know how to handle your pain or they themselves were abusive or whatever it means. But that reconnection to transcendent reality is a huge part of making your life have meaning and safety.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm with you on that one.
0: Sure. And then third, the one that most people want to start with is, of course, making connections to safe people. You said something really important when you talked about helping people reconnect to yourself. You said that was stage four?
1: Stage four, yeah. Okay. But it's, when it's people crucial. get to stage it's,
0: four. We know,
1: you know we can't undo our experience, but we control what we do with it. And that support is uh, is crucial in every way.
0: And what, one of the things you said that I really latched onto a second ago is you said, you know, we decide who we're going to be at that point. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we'll be deciding is how will I decide who's safe in my life? Whereas before, whether because of family of origin or just because of naivety, whatever it might be, we might not even have a filter that says we need to look for safe people. We're just looking for people. You know, if we have betrayals in our family of origin or abuse or trauma in our family of origin, it's not uncommon that we'll reproduce that pattern at some point. And becoming that different person through connecting to self, we then have an opportunity to say, I'm not just going to connect to a stranger, or I'm not going to connect to somebody just kind of randomly who may not be safe. I've learned some filters, things to look for, things to pay attention to in my own gut. You know, I've got the uh, Dr. Uh, Silber's post-betrayal trauma program that's going to help me know what safe people are. I've got all those ways to know. So now I'm not just going to connect, going to, connect to a person, but to a community of people who are at least much more likely to be safe people.
1: You know, I, I love that you're bringing this up because it, it, it is so, I, we see this all the time. When someone moves from stage three to stage four, one of the most common things we see is a change in relationships. If yes. if the people weren't you know that that were your friends weren't there for you you don't take them with you as you move into this transformation and you know and I and I always use this example it's like if you were to move to a new house office condo apartment whatever you know your stuff isn't all there but it's going to be okay and you have that sense about uh, okay here we go we're starting something new and if you were to move you don't take everything with you you don't take the things that don't represent who you want to be in this new space so if those Uh, People don't represent who you're becoming now that you've connected with yourself and, and something bigger other than you, you just don't take them with you. You're on a very different track to very different relationships.
0: So crucial. Mm -hmm. So crucial. Because one of the things I'm a family therapist by training. And one of the things we help help people examine is really the patterns of their life that they've established based on the things, the patterns from their early family experiences or early life experiences. And we, you know, we don't just change what we do. We change the patterns of our life, the relationship patterns, communication patterns, and even then the type of people that we decide to connect to. Now, like I've said. Great, that we Wonderful stuff.
1: I want to make sure we have time to get to uh, number four.
0: Yes. So hear carefully. When you satisfy the brainstem, we can get to the midbrain. When the midbrain is satisfied with instead of its counterfeits, but the real need, which is connection, that carries us up to that third level. And I used to kind of wrestle with this one. But what I'm going to say is when the, when the connection needs are met, we can now move to the neocortex. If the brain stem was grabbing the back of your neck, put your hand on your forehead, you're now holding your neocortex in your hand. You've moved from the most primitive part of your brain that's not designed to do anything but keep you not dead to the part of your brain that's going to create the life that you dream of. It's the most sophisticated, most complex. Uh, it's designed to recognize patterns and solve problems and come up with brand new synthesis of ideas. It's designed, it's really the center of, of complex awareness and specifically complex awareness relative to your context. In other words, I'm, I'm not just aware of the room around me, but I'm aware of me in this room. How am I related to people? How am I related to objects? How am I related to processes? And so that would be the place where if we want to talk about identity, knowing who we are, that's going to not just the idea, but the reality of knowing who we are, being comfortable in your skin means that we're able to function out of that highest level. So this is why it connects also to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? At this point, we can actually become the truest, most complex and richest version of ourselves. In the neocortex. And
1: out, the, and out of the five stages from betrayal to breakthrough, this is stage five, everyone.
0: Love. I love that, by the way. It's so great. And like I say, we use a couple other models also that this this particular roadmap of the brain helps people see. You, It's hard to get to the latter stages of freedom and healing and restoration when you're still just trying to survive. And yet the bottom half of the brain needs some things. It's not as if your brain has betrayed you. You've got to satisfy the appetites of the bottom half of your brain to get to these places. And when you have that roadmap, one of the things we've discovered about this roadmap is it really helps people just let go of shame. Mm -hmm. People think I'm inadequate. I'm incompetent. Why do I, why am I so bad at relationships? Well, because the bottom half of your brain isn't designed to solve problems, problems and have relationships Let's satisfy the real needs of the bottom half. You can get up to the limbic system and form healthy connections. And in those healthy connections, you can find the truest version of you. So I'm going to tell you why I struggled with that. Do we have time for me to tell you? Go ahead. I struggled with that because I used to say, and still do, we should be able to be the truest version of ourselves, no matter what the context is. And so why should we need connection to become who we are? And I started realizing none of us are an island, uh, whether it's like for me, the connection to my creator is a significant part of me being who I really am, but also my connection to myself. And so there really is a need to pass through the, the sustenance of healthy connection to both find and sustain my truest self as it is with each of us. And so I, I'm much more comfortable now saying when you satisfy the connection needs, we can really become the truest version of ourselves.
1: And and just for everybody listening and watching, you're gonna like who you find.
0: Yes. Oh
1: you, you're just gonna clear some stuff up. You're gonna really like who's there because this version of you is Being created deliberately and intentionally, that's what happens with betrayal. Everything you don't like about yourself that maybe you didn't have boundaries in place, whatever it was that was going on, you get to redefine and recreate all of it and and do it in a way that is so intentional that you create someone you really want to spend time with. So it's, it's a great thing.
0: And it's so consistent that people dislike their picture of themselves, but their picture comes from living out of the bottom half of their brain which isn't designed to be your truest self. It's designed to make sure that you don't die today. Yeah, big difference. And if, this, if is, you, this
1: is Stephanie, Bob, what do you want to make sure everyone knows as we
0: wrap up? I, I think I want them to know what you just said. And that is that if, if you recognize that you've lived in the bottom half of your brain, then you don't really know yet what you're missing. And what you're missing about your truest self is that you're a pretty amazing human being. The brain's an incredibly complex organ, but the bottom half isn't designed for you to live the fullness of your life. It's designed to just make sure you, are, you survive to do that. And if you've lived out of the bottom half, you have a picture of yourself that's based on survival, not based on becoming. And so we really want people to know our, our, our organization is called Think Differently, and it's very much about moving people through the functions of their brain, not just thinking a new thing, but a new way. And that way that is the top half of your brain is really designed to be somebody amazing. You don't know that if you've been in the bottom half of your brain most of your life, but you are an amazing creature.
1: I, I love this, Baba. I so enjoyed this conversation, a journey through the brain. Uh, and and I, I, I'm fascinated by how beautifully this syncs with the five stages from betrayal to breakthrough. Stage one is before it happens. So really when you look at from the moment of shock and trauma, you, mm-hmm. you you took us right through stages two three four and five through the different areas of the brain. So this was absolutely perfect. The synergy is just is just incredible. Love and um, Where does everybody go to learn more about you and the great work you do?
0: So we are Think Differently Academy. Uh, the URL would be tdacad. So tdacad. Think Differently Academies. Um, it's a subscription-based service, but there's also several free things. We've, we've always said that several things will be free just because everybody needs to know the dynamics of abuse. Everybody needs to understand how to become who you are. And a couple other key things. We've got a, a, a teaching that my wife does on suicide. So for people who are you know struggling with those kind of thoughts, that would be something we're never going to charge for. But, um, so tdacad.com is all of our content and all of our community.
1: Wonderful. And you see why I keep bringing them back, everybody. Bob, thank you again uh, so much just for your uh, your insight, your inspiration, and really for making it just so doable. And, and when we know where we're living, uh, we can know what we need to do to get to the next place. So yes. I appreciate you and this conversation. Thanks so yeah. much. Thank you again. So many great insights. Stay in touch with Bob by going to tdacad.com and we'll have all of his information in the show notes at the pbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. The four areas of the brain so perfectly correlate with the five stages from betrayal to breakthrough, starting with stage two, the brainstem. Here's the gatekeeper, the reptilian brain that is responsible for fight, freeze, flight, Flee, fix, and fawn that's stage two. The midbrain, make sure you're surviving, doling out the dopamine for relief, whether it's real or counterfeit, that's stage three. The limbic system, our center for connection, connection to self, to something bigger than us, to others. Here we're connecting and facing our pain so that we can move through it, that's stage four. Neocortex helps us create the life we dream of, where we learn something new to create something new. Stage five. When we live in the bottom half of our brain, stages two and three, we're surviving when we move towards the limbic and neocortex cortex areas were becoming someone new stages four and five how cool is that head over to the pbtinstitute.com and check out all of our resources all designed to help you heal whether it's one of my books our supplement lines specific to the symptoms of betrayal our programs, support and community we have everything you need to help you heal once and for all thanks for listening can't wait to be with you next time and here's to your breakthrough